Hi, Jenny. Hi, Leslie. Thank you for speaking with me today. You're welcome. So when you first emailed me, um, you said that you had kept your head down during school and you're, you're now a practicing mental health counselor. Yeah. And now that you're self-employed, you feel like you are able to talk more freely about these things. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious about what, what's, how did this start for you? What, what drew you to the practice of therapy? What made you want to go to school to be a therapist? And what did you expect from studying and from working as a counselor? I was really drawn uh, to this field because I had had some pretty positive experiences myself in therapy. Uh, I was able to make some changes in my life and just have a more fulfilling life overall. And I wanted to be able to do similar work. I was in a job I was working for. I live in Illinois and I was working for the state of Illinois. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't a very fulfilling career. It wasn't something that I enjoyed. And I was, I was in midlife and it was either like change now or feel like I'm stuck. Although looking back, that's that's not really a tr that's not really the truth. I could you can change at any time, um, but I was in a position where I was able to go back to school to not have to work full time and to and to pursue just a different career, one that I I thought would be more fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And so that's why that's why I was drawn to it, and I I thought a graduate program would really would really prepare me for this job that there would be robust education and I would finish graduate school and you know, be ready to deal with almost anything that comes my way. Mm -hmm. So you, you had had good experiences and you'd felt like um, your experiences in therapy had improved your life. Your job wasn't very meaningful to you and you saw an opportunity to really do something that was of value to yourself yeah. and others. Yeah. yeah. And actually I've also had some, um, some counseling experiences that were not all that great. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't something that I was really aware of until after I had gone through graduate school and started learning about ethics. Okay. And then I could look back and think, oof, there yeah. were some ethical issues with some of the things that were going on mm -hmm. in the counseling relationship. Mm -hmm. So you saw, you saw ways that you would do it differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then when you went to school, um, what was that experience like for you and and how was it different from what you were expecting and how how did it how did it measure up to what you expected I guess I don't want to lead you I just want okay. to I'm just curious um I'm, I'm not even sure I don't know if I had a really clear expectation for what I would get out of graduate school I had graduated from my undergrad many years before you know I was late thirties, early forties when I went to graduate school. So it had been a long time since I graduated from college. Um, I couldn't really remember what it was like to be a student. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of what I was, ex like a lot of what I was experiencing was just self-doubt about my abilities to measure up academically. Mm. Um, what I found was there were pretty low academic standards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I went through the, I went through a clinical mental health counseling program. So that is under the College of Education. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I needed to take the GRE, but my professor said, we don't even look at the numbers. Don't oh, worry about it. No. Yeah. Um, there was a, a pretty big focus on not wanting to like gatekeep, mm -hmm. um, to not want to prevent people from being able to come into a program and pursue a career with this. And when I heard about that, I thought, but but there is a client or a patient on the other side who needs who needs a counselor who knows what they're doing and who's smart and who can sit with ambivalence and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And if you're letting anybody in, these may not be good. Th these may not be good fits for this field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I found was across the board, fairly low academic standards. Okay. Um, you know, I got straight A's and my guess is if I had been taking, um, taking a graduate course such as this, say 25 years ago, that would not have been the case mm -hmm. that my, the papers that I wrote or the projects that I did would not have just gotten A's. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was, that was the default grade. We had, I had one professor who was an adjunct. She normally didn't teach. And uh, when she turned back our first paper, she, she was really clear about her displeasure mm. in, uh, people's writing. She said, a lot of you got B's and you really should have gotten C's and people were so angry with her. Mm. It was hard for them to hear that feedback. Really? So I was, I was surprised. I was surprised about the low academic standards. And then also, a little bit relieved because I knew that I could, I could do well on paper. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was, a, it was just a lower level of, of rigor and expectation. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I had taken some classes in other, um, you know, I, I, my course, it was a 60 credit hour program through the clinical mental health counseling program, but I also needed, I didn't need to, but I took some classes in um, eating disorders to get a certificate. And those classes were definitely more rigorous. Mm -hmm. um, the expectations were different. Um, I, I took another class. I can't remember which, you know, which class it was, but it was outside of the, it was outside of the counseling program. And I didn't do as well on papers and I got more specific feedback and, you know, I got feedback, like if you make some changes, you'll have a better paper and also a better grade. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was not, that was not feedback I was getting in the counseling program. Yeah. So aside from the, the lack of, I guess, academic, um, I guess the state, the low academic standards, mm -hmm. what, were the were there content differences? I'm I'm wondering if if there was concern about the social justice sort of ideology and how that appeared in the program for you. That concern didn't really come up for me while I was in the program. That concern came up after the fact once I started questioning some things. Um, okay. I had I got my undergrad in sociology, and so I was primed for critical social justice. Okay. I was like, I, I wasn't even, I don't think I was aware that, huh, this is, this is interesting. You know, this belief that, you know, this group over here is like a sacred caste and this group over there is, you know, they're just terrible people. Mm -hmm. um, 
because that was kind of what I was learning in, in sociology so many years ago. And there was part of me that wanted to be a good person. Mm -hmm. And there's also a part of me that's always been interested in, you know, some of the inequalities of life. You know, there are some inequalities yeah, and they affect people really negatively at times. And so mm -hmm. I, I bought into a lot of it. Okay. Um, but there were some things that, that didn't sit well with me. So for example, um, I can't even remember which class this was in, but a doctoral student came to talk to us about LGBT issues. Okay. And he said, you know, if your partner comes out as trans, you should be really happy that they trust you enough to tell you. Mm. And it, perhaps but, I, you know, this is a person who was in his 20s. I don't think he could even, con like, get into the mind of a middle-aged woman who'd been with her husband for 20 years. And, you know, news like that would not be happy. No. News like that would feel like you've been duped, that yeah. you've been misled. Mm -hmm. um, that would be he, an incredibly complex experience for that person, even if they felt positive for their partner. Right. Because if you, yeah. if you weren't open about this, what else were you open about? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was also the person who told me I had a very masculine presentation. Wow. And I look wow. like, I look like this, which, you know, I is not particularly masculine. I don't think, but I, you know, when I would go to classes, I would wear you know, yoga pants and sweatshirts. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also was a middle-aged woman who'd been married for a very long time. I wasn't a person in their twenties who was still, you know, in the dating market and looking for a I partner. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. it's, it's almost like he, this person didn't, wasn't able to take context into consideration and why my presentation may be different from my peers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And also who cares? Yeah. That seems like, like a really strange thing to to, to point out in a yeah, group of people. Unless, unless you're in a conversation <laughs> with them where you're asking for that kind of feedback. And I'm right. I'm assuming. Yeah, no, this was a, yeah. I know a group circle. We're talking okay. about LGBT issues and he just pointed that yeah. out. Wow. Yeah. wow. yeah. And so there were things like that, that's, yeah. that stuck out to me. Like that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up, I grew up in the eighties, mm -hmm. you know, it, there wasn't so much pink is for girls, blue is for boys, you know, it was very much, you can do what you want to do. And if you wear pants, it doesn't make you any less of a girl. And I, I feel like some of the gender ideology is just taking us back to regressive stereotypes. Absolutely. Um, I also remember a time when a trans, I don't know if it was a staff member. I, I don't, I don't think this person was a professor, but they were definitely employed by the university, but Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say he, I, I don't know what pronoun this person uses, but he came to talk to the class. Um, and this was shortly after Bruce Jenner had come out and was now being called Caitlin. Mm -hmm. And the staff members, you know, take on Bruce Jenner was, well, he's only, he was only famous because he was, you know, a white man with power. And it's like, mm -hmm. okay, there's also the Olympic thing that, yeah. I don't know, might've played a role. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Things were really seen through the lens of gender, sexual orientation, race. Mm -hmm. um, other, other contexts weren't taken into account. Mm -hmm. And so some of these things weren't sitting right with me. I didn't say anything at the time, 
um, I was scared to, you know, if you question some of this, it, you would definitely be seen as a bad person. And I'd seen, I'd seen this happen with some of my, some of my colleagues, you know, somebody would question something and then the whole class would kind of turn on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, based on your kind of your sociological perspective, mm-hmm. you, you bought into a lot of these things without too much difficulty. Right. And, and then there were a few jarring moments, primarily around gender ideology, where you- Yeah, gender ideology and race. Race, okay. Mm-hmm. So, and, that, and that's been one of my big criticisms of applying these concepts to individual psychology, mm-hmm. is that it is sociological, and it does look at people in terms of group membership, and it, and it misses the nuance of the individual and the potential for such a variety of experiences and worldviews within mm-hmm. individuals that don't adhere to whatever observable groups you might put those people into. Right. It doesn't take people's life into context. It doesn't see people as individuals. And when you're in, when you're in the therapy setting, there, there may be times when you're doing group therapy, a lot of it is individual therapy mm-hmm. where it's, it's you sitting down with the other person and seeing them as a complex human being. Mm-hmm. And this ideology, it, it strips people of that. It's yeah. not healthy. Yeah, absolutely. So for you, um, as you described kind of going along with it at the time and not really being too, so you, you kind of had these moments where you're starting to become aware that this isn't quite right. Mm-hmm. What, what was the, what's the arc for you of realizing that you felt very differently about this? How did that happen? How did you go from where you were when you were accepting it to where you are mm-hmm. now, where you're looking at it and, and critical of what was being taught? There were a couple of a couple of times in grad school where I started questioning it. I had mentioned a few of those yeah. instances. There was another time. Um, I can't remember what the shooting was because, unfortunately, in this country there are many. Um, but there was uh, there was basically like, for lack of a better term, a healing circle uh, for people to discuss a police shooting. And I went. Um, I felt like I needed to go because I was afraid that there wouldn't be very many white people there. And if there aren't very many white people there, what does that say? And so I wanted to be a good white person. Um, And also I I knew some of these people who were, who were troubled by this. And it is, you know, it is troubling when you see, when you see interactions that go wrong and people die. Uh Um, And I remember having been, having been taught that you should listen to, you should listen to people of color, just be quiet and listen. And I'm like, okay, just be quiet and listen. And um, during that circle, one of the doctoral students in my program made, made a comment about like, you know, I see white people in here and they're really quiet and I don't know why that is. Hmm. And I thought, this is, this yeah. is being put in a position where you buy. can't, right, you cannot make a good choice here. And a white woman started to speak and then she started to cry. And I was so anxious because I thought, oh no, it's white women's tears. You're not supposed to do that. This is wrong. Um, And I just remembered feeling really unsettled. And so there were like chips, there were these chips that happened. Um, But I didn't really start questioning it a lot until the summer of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when the riot started. Mm-hmm. 
that's when, you know, people just had these declarations, trans women or women, mm -hmm. um, or, or they would have um, declarations like Black Lives Matter. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, only a monster would argue against that. Right. Right. But, you know, what's on the surface and what's underneath are two really different things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, if on the surface, what people are saying is people just want to pee. Trans people just want to pee. That's all they want to do. They're not trying to scare you in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I, I think for probably the majority of trans people, that's correct. They just want to live their lives. They don't want to be political. They just want to mm -hmm. do them, you know, mm -hmm. work in their job, you know, maybe go out for drinks after work and, you know, do things like that. But, mm -hmm. but if things are, um, these concepts are, or this ideology is brought out in such a way that it's really difficult to challenge anything without then being seen as the bad object. Yeah. And so once I saw the riots and people making excuses for rioting and for destruction, and once some of the COVID stuff came in, I just, I started questioning a lot of what was happening then, and then looking back and questioning a lot of what I had learned in school. It sounds like you were you were kind of you were going through a series of contradictions, experiencing contradiction over and over. So you had like the right. the gentleman who spoke to your class about um, trans mm -hmm. people embracing their trans partner coming out, mm -hmm. and you were kind of questioning. There's there's a contradiction here because the person who's being uh, who the partner of this person is going mm -hmm. through something also, and we're not acknowledging what this person's going through. So Right. This is this is sort of a shallow view of this, and then you're hearing um, the the talk around the white women's white women's tears and white people be mm -hmm. quiet and also white people speak up, and so you're facing right. over and over, and it's kind of chinking chipping away at mm -hmm. your acceptance of the belief system. Right. When did you become or or are you? What do you? I don't want to put words in your mouth. I, I say that a lot, but. Um, I feel like I, I want to ask these questions, but I also I want to hear your genuine response and not mm -hmm. just an answer to something I'm asking. Um, the did do you see it as an as a belief system? And yeah, and if so, when did that start to become a part of your awareness of of this? I think again around summer of 2020, okay. I started to I started to consume different media. Okay. I didn't realize I was in a bubble. Um, okay. You know, I was a lefty liberal democratic voting person pretty much my whole life. And I didn't realize that I was in such a bubble that I was in. And so mm -hmm. I started to listen to Benjamin Boyce and Brett Weinstein and Heather Hying and reading Douglas Murray. And I started to question some things. What I'm seeing now it seems like it's a secular religion, like that religious piece that we have lost over the yeah. decades is being filled. Um, we have religious doctrine, we have, you know, we have religious garb, whether it's a flag or a pin. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I see it as, as almost like a secular religion and that if people don't believe in the secular religion, they're heretics and they'll be punished. 
you know, and I'm, I'm so glad to be talking with you because I think that this is, it's really a valuable reminder that people are just where they are with regard to awareness of this. I mean, people, it's easy to be polarized and it's easy to mm -hmm. demonize the people who are, are going along with these ideas, mm -hmm. but we, I don't know. I think the word waking up is kind of overused and oversimplified. It's overly simple, but it's easy to say. So waking up to this, it kind mm -hmm. of like coming out of a cult. People come out in stages mm -hmm. and there are good people who are erroneous in their thinking maybe, but still doing it for what they think are the right reasons, feeling like they're oh, compassionate and empathetic. And so I think that you're, I'm very curious about how that unfolded for you and what, what was your relationship to yourself in this, in this period of time? What, how were you thinking about your own participation or questioning of things that you'd taken as uh, on faith prior? Mm -hmm. This is a, I'm, I'm very inarticulate with this. I'm trying to ask you questions and I'm feeling myself stumble all over the place, but I, I hope that made sense. That's fine. So, you know, I remember being in classes in, in graduate school and and kind of joining a pile on and not okay. knowing at the time that that's what I was doing um, because it seemed like I was on the right side and I wanted to be on the right side. I wanted to be a, a good person. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, now I like I cringe when I think of that. Yeah. And part of this ideology that's so damaging is you you see people as good or bad mm -hmm. and if if they aren't if they don't believe everything that you believe if they don't align with you politically then they're bad mm -hmm. um and people are just more complex than that yeah and so you know i i look at some of my behavior in grad school and even though i was on the periphery there were times when i either joined in or, or I was silent mm -hmm. um, and I didn't need to be. I, I'm in a very different position now. I'm, I'm self-employed so I can, I can say things that I didn't feel comfortable saying before, whether it's, you know, if I'm in a continuing education event on um, working with a trans population, I can, I can put in the question like, hey, what about has anybody thought about how puberty blockers or hormones might affect bone health, especially if people have an eating disorder? That's mm -hmm. not a question I would have asked before. Mm -hmm. It also is probably not something I was aware of before mm -hmm. because it was just affirming as good, not mm -hmm. affirming as bad. Um, I've already forgotten your question. The no, question <laughs> was a really big jumble of just, mm -hmm. <laughs> just curiosity. Um, but so you, you talked about how the splitting, like mm -hmm. the people are good or bad. And one right. of the things that I think is so, it, it's so obvious to me how this, this way of looking at things promotes cognitive distortions and mm -hmm. other maladaptive psychological defense mechanisms like splitting. Right. And uh, what are your thoughts on that and how, how you've seen that play out? Um. Yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot of this ideology promotes very poor mental health. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, if like when I think about the trans issue, um, what I am seeing happen is teachers, 
therapists, doctors wanting to align with maybe the child who identifies as trans. And then if a parent is questioning that, then the parent is bad. The parent isn't affirming, maybe we need to call Child Protective Services. Mm -hmm. Or on the other side of the political spectrum, you see, or I see, um, politicians wanting to paint the doctors and the therapists and the teachers as all bad. And maybe we need to call Child Protective Services. Mm -hmm. um, there, there isn't a lot of a lot of space for nuance, for complexity, for for seeing people as full human beings that you know, may not be on one particular political side or another. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not healthy. When when we are dividing the world into good and bad, you know, we're dividing ourselves into good and bad. And we want to feel like good people. Mm -hmm. And that can give us license to then behave really badly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I see this ideology tearing at families. Mm -hmm. A lot of times family is the biggest source of support for people, not always. A lot, a lot of times it is. And if you are willing to write off your family because they don't believe what you believe, that is not going to lead to better mental health. Mm -hmm. If you are going to be aggrieved because somebody has committed a microaggression, you are not going to be in good mental health. You know, also, I, I remember learning about microaggressions and if you can't deal with a microaggression, how in the heck are you going to deal with somebody talking about very different sexual fantasies or their abuse history or how they've maybe abused their kids or like th there's a lot of difficult content that people hear when they're therapists. Mm -hmm. There are times when your patient is not going to like you mm -hmm. and they are not going to hold back on that. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you that mm -hmm. if you are so fragile that a microaggression is going to you know, make you spin out, how are you going to deal with regular difficulties of life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if we are, if we are then teaching our clients about this, we we're helping them become more fragile. We're not helping them become resilient. We're not helping them to meet the challenges of life and, and have a fulfilling life that is full with difficulty. Mm -hmm. So in these ways, looking back at your training, do you feel like it was an adequate preparation? I or feel like it was very inadequate. Now my program, I, I went through before our discussion, I went through this, my syllabi and was looking at different things. I had different things. I had 14 teachers, mm -hmm. four were professors, nine were doctoral students. One was an adjunct of those 14, only six were licensed. Okay. And only three of them had recent experience. Oh, wow. So I was being taught by people who did not have recent counseling experience. Mm -hmm. And I think any graduate counseling program really needs to have people who are licensed, who are working or who have worked very recently. Mm -hmm. um, because somebody who got their doctoral degree 25 years ago and practiced for six years is not going to be that effective as a teacher. Mm -hmm. They're out of touch. They're totally out of touch. They don't know what it's like to be, to be a therapist mm -hmm. because they're not doing it. Yeah. I, I talked to my, some of my classmates about this. We, many of us felt very unprepared for this job. 
because of graduate school. And when you spend, you know, when you spend a lot of class time talking about microaggressions or talking about gender or talking about race, what you're not doing is spending class time on clinical preparation. Mm -hmm. That hurts people. Mm -hmm. That hurts marginalized people. Mm -hmm. I had an addictions class in summer mm -hmm. and summer classes are shorter classes. We had 11 meetings of those 11 meetings. One was taken up. The whole meeting was taken up talking about the pulse shooting. The other was taken up talking about BLM mm -hmm. and one was spent on presentations. That means we had eight class meetings to learn about addictions. Mm -hmm. And even if you're not specializing in addictions in this field, you are going to have people who struggle with them or they have family members who do. You spend time on things that don't, if, if, the, if the program is spending time on things that don't help prepare, prepare people to be clinically effective, they are doing a disservice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they missed an opportunity to work yes. more on what you we were there to study. Absolutely. And that shifted the focus to how you should feel and react to socio-political events. Right. How yes, how you should feel and act. And also, you know, there's this expectation that that therapists are also activists, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we change society. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't been in the counseling room in a long time, if you haven't worked with people and you have no idea how difficult it is to help a person go from a depressive episode out of a depressive episode and to have, you know, move towards a meaningful, fulfilling life, mm -hmm. like, that is a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I don't know who thinks they can do that and also change society. Yeah. Like that's, that is beyond our scope. It is. Yes, absolutely. It's not, it's not appropriate to, to push that. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, different people have different people have different political leanings. Um, okay. You want people to be activists? Well, maybe somebody wants to be an activist in a way that you don't like. Right. And then what? And it is a very, very cookie cutter, like you said, a bubble. It is mm -hmm. a very tightly controlled orthodox worldview that is. Going. It is. Yeah. yeah. And I see that. I saw that not just in graduate school, but I also see that um, just in life now. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had people I know who are therapists who will make comments about like, oh, you're going to Florida. Huh, pretty, pretty conservative area there. Hmm. Do you say this to your clients? Do you make these comments and, and how would that feel for somebody who is conservative or mm -hmm. what would happen if somebody's politics changed, mm -hmm. you know, okay. Like my, just accepted that you're going to be a little derisive about these things and that's right. just normal. Right. Mm -hmm. Or it's accepted that, that this ideology has the correct assumption mm -hmm. about politics. And if you don't, something's wrong with you. And if you don't, you're not doing right by your clients. Mm -hmm. And then you're not being a good therapist. How is this impacting your work now, or is it? Not really. I'm in private practice. Mm -hmm. um, very few people come to talk about politics. Once in a while they do, but when you are in this job, it is really important that you see people as complex human beings, mm -hmm. that, you, that you see the good and the bad that is in every single person that's in us too. Mm -hmm. 
Um, if you cannot sit with that, if you cannot be with that, you're not going to do your job well. So in private practice, I get to choose, you know, who I have as a patient, if I'm going to take a patient or not. Mm -hmm. um, it really doesn't affect me now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really glad that I'm doing private practice. Um, I know if I were, if I were in a treatment facility, there would be different pressures. I, so one way that this does affect me when I need to step somebody up to a higher level of care and I'm looking at different treatment centers, everything is taken mm -hmm. over by this ideology. So it's hard and, to find who you can refer to. Right. Because if somebody, if somebody is being that overtly political, how can I trust them to provide really good therapy? If somebody really has a difficult time just accepting reality, how can I trust that they're going to have a, a good therapeutic milieu mm -hmm. for my patient? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So resources dwindle because yes. of the capture. Yeah, I, I don't know of any treatment center that has a higher level of care, whether it's you know intensive outpatient, partial hospitalization, or residential, who was who captured. Wow. What are your concerns now? And and is there anything else that that we haven't covered that you think is really relevant to bring up? And where do you see? Yeah, what, what more do you think that we should have talked about in terms of this? Well, I'm really concerned about counselor education in general. Um, I know, I, I only know my experience, which was I, I had a lot of teachers who did not have recent experience. So I would like for that to change. I, I don't know if that's, if it's like that in other programs or maybe other programs who, you know, all of their professors, all of the teachers have recent experience, which mm -hmm. would be wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think just in, in general, I, I don't know how we get the temperature to cool a little mm -hmm. bit in mm -hmm. terms of, of people's, people's assumptions about other people, um, people's political leanings, but mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we, we get back to basics, mm -hmm. get back to the basics of psychotherapy, really learn what that is, really learn to be with people and see them as complex human beings and not just avatars of race or gender or sexual orientation. People are so much more than that. Um, I'm not really sure how we get there. I know there are some, like there's critical therapy antidote, there's gender exploration, therapy association. You know, there are some, there are some associations that are being created and pushing back on this ideology. Um, and just, just having more space for nuance, having more space for people to be able to voice concerns or disagreement and, and have that be okay. Mm -hmm. Do you get a lot of inquiries for, uh, for your work from clients who are looking for you specifically because you're not pushing any ideology? Has that, has that been a factor in who you're seeing? No, I haven't. Um, I don't have anything on my like website or profile about that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have pronouns listed. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've never used she or he or him or her when I'm talking to a person. I've always used you because mm -hmm. I'm not referring to them in the third person. So right. it, it doesn't. So there's 
people might notice the absence mm -hmm. of something. They might, you know, if they, they if they were looking at what I have online, which is limited, they might notice an absence of some of the jargon, some of the um, some of the things that people may see mm -hmm. on on websites or on profiles of people who really push this ideology. I'm imagining a growing demand for good counselors and therapy professionals who are not pushing this kind of ideology. Well, it's not our place to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and this is actually in, if you're a counselor, the ACA, the American Counseling Association Code of Ethics is really clear that we are not to be pushing mm -hmm. our politics, our values mm -hmm. on people. Mm -hmm. That's not something we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And it, when you try to do that, you deprive people of their agency. That's not helpful. Mm -hmm. Do you have any recommendations for people if they're curious where uh, where to find you for instance you have a place where you um, have a listing a website or a blog that you'd like to promote I don't have a blog my website's a little bit of a mess right now it's um, jennyrogerstherapy.com it okay. needs it's it badly needs updating um, I'm not taking new patients right now okay um, but, you know, some places to look might be, look for the absence of things. Like if you're on psychology today, if you see that somebody has their profile and they're not listing, they're not listing pronouns or they're not, you know, putting this is a whatever affirming space, mm -hmm. um, look for that. Okay. You know, that's probably a way of, of, it's a subtle signal of, I'm not just going to push an ideology. Mm -hmm. And I'm also, that's, to me, that's a signal of, I'm not going to see you as a victim, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is important. Mm -hmm. So looking for those bios that seem a little more neutral in, mm -hmm. in terms of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good. It's a good idea. Right. Um, thank you so much for speaking with me and thank you for sharing your perspectives and your experiences. You're welcome. Is there any final thoughts? I'm really happy that you're doing this. Um, I have been quiet for a long time. And when I see people like you, or um, I think it was Christine Safin. Safin. Yeah, Christine mm -hmm. Safin. When I see people in critical therapy antidote, mm -hmm. you know, just poking their heads up and speaking out, it gives me the courage to do the same. My guess is a lot of people feel very similar to how we feel, mm -hmm. and they're not speaking up. And so the more that people can speak up, it gives people permission to do, to do the same. Yes, I think you're right. And I hope, I hope so. I hope more people start finding the, the courage and the boldness to go ahead and, and say this isn't right. Yeah. And, and to say the really, you know, offensive statement of we need to see people as individuals in their full complexity in yeah. the good and the bad. Yeah. That shouldn't be a uh, controversial statement, but right now it is. I know. Isn't that strange? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. You're welcome. It was really nice talking to you. It was nice to talk with you too. Okay.